Well, you're glad you came to church yet? Me too. I love coming to church here every week. Um, Take your Bibles and go to the book of Luke. And while you're turning there, I want to say a special thank you to those who have helped to uh, get us tricked out for Christmas around here. It looks good, doesn't it? And uh, we had a lot of people came up through the course of the week and yesterday had a work day and a lot of people came to a lot of things. So especially want to say thanks to all of you who helped us with that. As we come to the Christmas season, uh, one of the pastor's great challenges is how to uh, address a Christmas series. It's the story that everybody in church knows and uh, everybody's heard multiple sermon series and those kind of things. And so uh, I'm going to actually do kind of a series of devotional thoughts with you this year along those lines, taking one of the things that I like to do best in my own personal Bible study, which is character studies. And I want us as we go through these uh, coming days to look at the characters of Christmas, eight of them to be exact. Now, part here's, here's the basic idea. The trappings of Christmas. Now, that's another way of saying all of the culture of the Christmas season. Uh, on a secular side, has left us with some enduring pictures of people. Um, and we recognize their names and we immediately tie them to the Christmas season. So help me out with this, and I'll prove my point, I hope. If I said to you, Chris, what's Kringle is the next word, right? So Santa Claus, um, Frosty, it's not a man, I know, but, um, the, and my favorite, the Grinch. There's a person of my own heart out there. I love that, all right? Um, here's the deal. When we come to those people, we don't think too much of those characters except we tie them to the Christmas season. As we come to a study of God's Word, and particularly as we're going to go through the next four weeks together, I want us to kind of pause a little bit and examine some of the characters of Christmas. The reason I want to do that is because I believe that the people that we find in the Christmas story, as we refer to it, in Scripture represent for us something of what it is to live in the kingdom of God. The way God deals with those individuals, uh, and some of them are not just individuals but groups of individuals, but how God deals with them reflects largely how he deals with us. And it's a good time of the year for us to take a fresh look at the Christmas story by looking at the characters there. And so as we do this, I want to start today with uh, uh, two different people who normally get overlooked when it comes to talking about the Christmas story. Now they're tied to it for a couple of different reasons. We'll look at that as we go. So here's the first one. The guy's name is Zechariah. This is in Luke chapter 1. And it begins in verse 5. So I'll just follow along as I read. In verse 5 it says, In the days of Herod... The king of Judah, by the way, we'll look at Herod next week. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. I'm going to stop reading there for just a moment. We'll pick up with the next verse in a few moments. But let me just kind of briefly paint a little background for us here. Zechariah is not one of the guys that we normally think of when we talk about the characters of Christmas. 
His wife Elizabeth, we'll also look at in just a few moments. We don't normally think about her in that context either. Zechariah was a priest. He was from that group of the people of Israel who were specifically given charge to help Israel as they worshipped together. Beyond that, we know of him that he was Elizabeth's husband. All of that in those few verses. And ultimately, we find out in this passage that he is the father of John the Baptist. And that's one of the key things that pulls him into the Christmas story per se. Now, with that in mind, those are just kind of the background stuff. That's all I want to say about all of that stuff. But I do want us to zero in on one of the key things that his life represents for us. It begins in verse 8. Verses 8 through 11, it says, Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now I want to stop there for a second and just kind of pull all of that together for you. Basically, there were so many priests in Israel that they would take and they would divide it out and this particular group would have duties from day one till day whatever and then the next group would come in and they would have duties. And and in this particular case, as we just read, it was given to him by lot. In other words, it was a privilege. He was chosen kind of randomly and it said, okay, now's your day to go in and burn incense on behalf of all of us. Okay, so that's the picture. If you will, he went to church to do church work. To put it in our terms today. If he was a Sunday school teacher, then we would have read and he went and he began to teach his class. If he was a preacher, they would have said he went in and he began to do the sermon. He just went to do his church thing. Like a lot of us today. We came to do our church thing. But, all right, help me out. My old timer hit here. What verse did I leave off on? See, nobody else knew, so that makes me feel a lot better. Verse 10, and the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Now let's stop for a second and make sure you get this picture. He goes to church to do his church thing. He's at the temple, okay? This guy goes in to do this job. In the process of doing that, he finds himself in there and shazam, somebody's in there with him. Now, this is a good time. By the way, when you do character studies in scripture, one of the best ways to do it is put yourself into the situation. So put yourself into Zechariah's situation here. He has the honor to go in and do this lead out in worship for them, even though it's a solitary kind of a job that he does. And he goes in and so it's him and he's doing this. Imagine the thoughts probably of, okay, now, so I'm supposed to do this next. And, and all of a sudden somebody's in there with him. Now in my book, that's time to pull a knife or a gun. One of the two. Nobody's supposed to be in there with him, and especially not somebody that looks like an angel, or who in fact is an angel, as we find out. So let's keep reading verse 12. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw... Okay, understatement. This is one of those times that I think we find a little bit of humor in the Bible, All right, Imagine the look on his face. Verse 12 again, and Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. 
But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. I'll just stop there for a second. Right. Let Let me just make a few comments about these few verses. Here's the first thing out of Christmas characters that I think we really need to get. Because it's true of Zechariah, it's going to be true of Elizabeth, it's going to be true of Mary, it's going to be true of Joseph, it's going to be true of the shepherds, it's going to be true of the wise men, it's going to be true in all cases, God occasionally interrupts our schedule. I want you to think about that. Because that is a truth about life for us. Life with God is such that sometimes God chooses to interrupt the schedule of our lives. I know that it's true in my life. I've told some of you, maybe I've told most of you, that there have been incidents in my life where God, I was just going about my business, minding my own business, and God showed up and everything changed. First time that, well, the first time that I want to at least tell you about today happened when Teresa and I hadn't been married very long. We lived in an apartment. It was our first apartment together. And we, it wasn't much to it. One bedroom, a little bit of kitchen, and a little bit of uh, living area. And that was all there was to it. And so, now, you got to understand, I, you know, being the righteous few, some people sleep late and others get up early. You decide who the righteous few is, right? She liked to sleep late. I liked to get up early. So on this particular day, it was a Sunday before church. I got up early, went in at this little kitchen table that we had just outside of the bedroom door. I sat down drinking coffee, opened my Bible to read a little bit, and boom! God interrupted my schedule. And that day said this to me. You are mine in your life calling. God called me the ministry that day. I'll guarantee you it was not what I wanted. As a matter of fact, that would have been the last thing that I would have wanted God to do. But it was real. And it was right now when it happened. I can tell you another time. Time that God... Well, in the, the aftermath of that was that immediately uh, when she got up, I talked to her about it and... I expected her to say, I absolutely, I won't do that, you know, and that would be my out. That wasn't it at all. And so we responded to God's call and we started making preparations to do whatever it was God wanted us to do. We needed to go off to school. We knew that. I was ignorant and not very smart either. Somebody said to me, boy, you need help. Okay, I'll go get some help. Well, in the process of doing that, we well, I'll come back to some of this, but here's bottom line is we decided, no, we won't do that. So another time, within probably two or so years after that, sitting in a class on Sunday morning, went to church, minding my own business. The last thing I expected to happen at church that day was for God to show up. Now tell me that's not the typical Christian in a Baptist church these days. Did you expect for God to show up today? When you got in your car and started driving up here, was at the front of your mind, we're going to go and God's going to step in and everything changes today. Most of us don't think like that. We go to church and we want to see, well, does the music guy have it today? Does the preacher have it today? We know the Sunday school teacher's going to have it. So we don't think about God showing up. 
Zechariah goes about his business. And God steps in. And history is made. It's happened to me. Happened to a lot of other people. You know the guy in scripture? The guy whose name was Saul? Who's just going about his business. Doing what he knew was the right thing to do. And on a road between nowhere and Damascus. God showed up. Interrupted his schedule. And everything changed. I could take you through church history. One person after another. One godly person after another. One regular person. Whatever that is. After another. Where everything was fine. They're just minding their own business. And God showed up. And everything changed. God loves to interrupt our schedules. So let's just stop and bring it home. How long has it been since God interrupted your schedule? When you're just going through the business of your life and suddenly there was a word from God, the presence of God in a very real way for you and you knew that you were on holy ground. Did you come to church today thinking that today might be the day like it was for Moses out on the backside of the wilderness just doing his own thing and all of a sudden God showed up? And everything changed. Did you come to church thinking today, maybe today's the day? Let me make it easier on you. Did you think that maybe God might call somebody to the ministry at our church today because he showed up in their lives like he did in mine so long ago? Or did you just kind of wander in thinking, well, let's go, let's go to church. This is part of the way God does business. This interrupting our schedules. And here's the problem for us. Whenever God chooses to interrupt like this, he forces us into a choice. Will I obey or will I ignore him? Let's look at Zechariah. Because there's some things here that, uh, you know, I, I got a feel for the guy. Because there's some things here that we all love to hear, especially us dads, you know. And God says to him, hey, you're going to have a son. We're going to get to that in just a second. And with that comes the, yes, a son. He'll be manly like I am. Or maybe my brother or somebody in your family who's manly. And we want the best for our kids. So listen to the promise. But Zechariah's got an issue here, so let's go ahead and let's look into it. So I stopped reading. I want to pick up in verse 12. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw this angel, and he fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Now listen to this. And you will have joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth, birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. What a great promise to get. If God's going to interrupt your life, what better way for him to do it than to say, hey, 
God's heard your prayers. You're fixing to go to the top of the class. What a great promise that God gives to him. But there's a problem with it. There's a problem with this whole scenario. Look at verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, Thanks, I've been waiting for that kind of news. If your version says that, then you need to throw that Bible away, okay? doesn't say that. Zechariah is way too much like we are to have said that. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Now, notice his political savvy. (laughs) There are a number of things he could have said that would have been wrong no matter how it came out. Verse 19, and the angel answered him. (laughs) I love this. Do you not realize what's happening here, son? Well, that's the Rotramble version. I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. In other words, (laughs) are you dumb? I had a professor who used to say to us guys, guys, just don't be dumb. That's a struggle for a lot of preachers, I found out. And maybe for me, and certainly for us, on deals like this. Here's the deal. Remember, we're talking about this choice that God, when He interrupts our lives, He, he gives us, he, he confronts us with this dilemma. It's a choice now. God has said, this is my plan for you. This is my promise to you. This is what's to happen. Now, I have to either believe it or ignore it. How do we make that choice? You would think that it's a slam dunk, no thought required. If God says it, I'll take it. It doesn't work that way most of the time for us. Because the problem is that we tend to be like he was. What got in his way here? God gives the promise. What was it that caused Zechariah to falter just a bit? And the answer is, it was the circumstances. He looks at it. Here's the promise. You're going to have a son. His immediate response is, well, you do realize, of course, that I'm pretty old. And my wife, well, she's like way old to be having kids. That's exactly the spirit of what's said here. And he's focused on the circumstances. And his focus on the circumstances keep him from hearing what God has said will happen. Now, this is one of those times that I have to warn you. If I'm going to say something profound, it never happens, so I need to warn you. This is profound, okay? This is worth remembering. Our problems with faith usually is that our faith fails when we're preoccupied with the circumstances of our lives. Now, let me run that back by you again because I want you to get this. This is fundamental in the living out of the Christian life if you want to go beyond just the surface. God gives us promises by which we are to live. A promise with God is not a suggestion. A promise with with God is not something that, well, you know, it could happen if everything turns out right. A promise from God is money in the bank, if you will. It is to happen. 
But our problem with that is that we get focused on circumstances. And somehow we want to reduce God's promises to us to circumstantial agreement. Let me play it out for you in my own life a little bit. Maybe this will help you. I left you as, as in my own life, and Teresa, as God called us to the ministry, and we decided not to go off to school. Well, we went to one place, and we looked, and it just wasn't quite right. And so we decided, you know, circumstances. I was working in the oil field, uh, had a good job. This is out in West Texas. Had a good job. I was making a lot of money for a guy my age. Been in the company and I got in at the right time and they just kept bumping me up. And before I knew it, I was way over my head and getting paid a lot of money to be way over my head. And God in the middle of that says, you're my minister. Go off to school and get prepared. So I started looking at the circumstances thinking, you know, it'd be a shame to do away with the blessings that God's given me in this job. So I think what I'll do is I'll start doing music at a local Baptist church in a part-time capacity, and that way I can work and I can still fulfill my calling. Remember my professor I told you about? Just don't be dumb. That was dumb. But the circumstances seemed to make me think it was the right thing to do. So that's what we did. And so for the next two years, we played at being faithful while we were unfaithful all the way through to God. At the end of that two-year stretch, Teresa and I were on the verge of divorce. Our marriage was horrible. And it was at that point that God interrupted my schedule again. Went to church, and this is when the teacher, I was just sitting in the back, minding my own business. Tearing up a marriage. Got to the point I was starting to fail at the job. But I was doing what God wanted me to do. I was working in a church. That teacher said something that had no bearing at all on me and my situation. But God used the words of that teacher. What she said at that moment was the voice of God interrupting my schedule. And God in no uncertain terms said, I told you. To go. But you got to know the circumstances. <laughs> because the circumstances were a problem for me. Because now I was dependent on the salary that I had because I wasn't spending money very smartly. And I also knew that I had this three month old son who liked to eat on a regular basis. And now God's saying to me, excuse me, now God's saying to me, Quit your job. Go to a school that's going to cost you more money than you have. And take your family with you. And the circumstances cry out for, don't do it. If you do it, you're a fool. So back to what I said. Our faith fails when we become preoccupied with circumstances. For Zechariah, the circumstances are we're way past the age of being able to have children. Now, by the way, he's a priest. Don't you think he knew the story of Abraham? 
But you see, those things don't matter to us when it's us who's on the line. Yeah, that's Abraham. That's an Old Testament deal. This is me, God. Let me just tell you, God is not going to let you off the hook because you think the circumstances don't help you obey. Teresa and I together had worked our marriage into the dirt because we were doing it our way because of circumstantial evidence. And God in his grace interrupted me again and said, go. So within three weeks, I'd quit my job. We'd move move to Plainview, Texas with no possible idea of how we were going to pay to live, much less go to school. It's especially true for us when God's directives seem to make no sense under the circumstance. Did you catch that? We got this one in writing for you, okay? This is especially true for us when the circumstances don't seem to make sense to us. For Zechariah, how could you possibly expect me to have a child? God, that doesn't make any sense. And then later in this process, as we read in verse 15, I think it is, where God says, and by the way, don't let him drink certain things. You know, what is that all about? That doesn't make any sense, God. Why should I worry about all of that? And the answer is because God had a plan, and Zechariah was part of that plan, and Zechariah needed to choose to be obedient in that plan. So he's at decision point here. So let me keep reading. Verse 19, and the angel answered him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, parenthetically I would insert because you were dumb. You're going to be dumb in the truest sense. And behold, you will be silent. That means dumb, by the way. And unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. Did you catch that? Gabriel says, just because you didn't believe, there's a consequence. Do not miss this, please. If you're Zechariah sitting here today, and God has interrupted your reality, and right now you're fighting a fight that the circumstances of your life say you can't do what God's telling you to do. Let me tell you something. There are circumstances, excuse me, there are consequences For failing faith. God says, I said, go. And we have that choice. Do I go or do I ignore it? When we choose to ignore it, there's a price to pay. Verse 21, and the people were waiting for Zechariah. And they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time for service was ended, he went to his home. So here's where we find ourselves. God issues a call. He interrupts your reality. When he does, he forces a choice. And that choice is hard for us. Especially hard for us at those times that it doesn't make sense what God is saying there. And so we not only look at the circumstances, then we start depending on our own understanding instead of living in faith. 
See, the test of faith in our lives is the point of choice for us. What do I do with what I have? And that takes me to Elizabeth. We see these things in Zechariah. It's a great place for us to start as we're looking at the characters of the Christmas story because there are times in our lives that you're going to be Zechariah and you're going to be forced with the reality that God puts in front of you. Elizabeth, on the other hand, I think our churches are full of Elizabeths, to be honest with you. What was her situation? We already saw a little bit. I told you she's still kind of one of those people who's a bit player in this whole thing. But what we find with her, as we saw in one of those verses we already read, was that uh, she was barren. We have to understand that in those times, there was a stigma attached to a person, a woman especially, who was not able to have children. Now, through the years in ministry, I've known many different women who struggled with infertility. And the stress and the pain that goes on a couple who struggle with that is, most of us don't understand, even begin to understand how hard that is for people. But as hard as it is for us in this day and age, in that society, it was a stigma. It was like something's wrong. God's not blessing her with kids. And so that means something's wrong with who she is. To make it even worse, there was that part of their society that uh, they, they put great stock in having an heir to give their stuff to when they left and died. And here's Elizabeth, the wife of a priest. And she has this social stigma over something that she had no control over. We know it's a big deal because of what Zechariah has already said and the prayer that had been answered in having this child. But let's look together now in verses 24 and 25. After these days... His wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. I love this. I love this because I'm an Elizabeth, and so are you. You know, our churches are full of people who bear some kind of shame that keeps them disconnected from people. I've heard many times this statement, many different ways, but here's the essential statement. Preacher, if you knew what I had done wrong, you would know that God would never have anything to do with me. Our churches are full of people like that. And we walk in and we play the game, but we realize, you know... (laughs) It's not for me. I'm just too far gone. If you knew what I did. You know, the, the problem with that is people base that. That's a point of theology for them. They think that God, you know, you can be so God that, so bad that God have nothing to do with you. They base that on what they see in God's people. Because God's people often say, you've done so much bad stuff, you can't have anything to do with us. Or we won't have anything to do with you. I talked about that last week. Let me tell you something. If you're the person who walked in here today and you think that you carry this shame like everybody in the, in the whole room knows what you've done. First of all, no, they don't. Secondly, many of them have done the same thing. And thirdly, God loves you anyway. 
God meets you at your point of need. Did you hear that? Let that sink in. God meets you at your point of need. And you say, no, I'm too dirty. No, you're not. Well, I need to get, I hear this all the time. I'm, I'm bad preacher. You know how bad I, I got I need to get cleaned up and then I'll come to church. That's like saying you need to get a shower so you can get in the bathtub and take a bath. That don't make sense. God says, I love you the way you are. Now he's not going to leave you there. Okay. He's going to clean you up. It'll come. But don't miss the grace of God, the love of God. Because you think that you're too far gone. Having a conversation, just casual conversation today with a couple of guys in our church about the guy from the Kansas City Chiefs yesterday. He killed himself. Question came up, what, 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 come, what makes a guy think like that? And the answer is sin makes us think like that. We think that there's no hope that we're just... Too far gone. You're never too far gone with God. Elizabeth represents for us that person who has incredible needs that they can do nothing about on their own. And yet at Christmas, God says, I'm going to meet that need in my son who is Jesus Christ. I don't know who you are today. I don't know what's going on in your life today. It doesn't matter. You may think you're too far gone. It's just not the case. God says, I love you. I have a plan for your life. Merry Christmas in the truest sense of that term. Bow your heads with me, if you will, for a few moments. Christmas is all about grace. Christmas is God saying to you, I love you so much that I send my son As Brian reminded us very well earlier, God in the flesh. That's a pretty drastic thing to do. You got to hear that it's driven purely by love. God says, I love you so much that I send my son so that you can have life. How is it with you and God today? Are you one of the ones who sits in this room today and for the first time in a long time, God has interrupted your schedule and you've heard God say something to you today that you never thought you would hear when you walked in this building today. And now you're at the crisis of belief. Will you choose to follow or choose to ignore? With all that's in me, I tell you, choose to follow. There is no better life. I know it may cost you something. It may cost you the way you're living your life. Some things may have to change. Yeah, that's true. Not because I say it. He'll tell you if that's what needs to happen. But I encourage you to reach into his hand that's held out to you now and accept the life that is given to you through Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that you and me That he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish, should not die, should not live a life of death, but could have eternal life. You just got to trust him. 
If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, that's the first step. That's the first place that God interrupts you. And that's where life begins. But you got to reach out. you got to accept that. If you don't know how to do that, you don't understand what that means. It's as simple as sitting there and saying, God, I don't get all of this stuff, but I know that you're knocking on my heart's door now. I get that. Can't get away from it. And I want to respond to it. And I give myself all of my sin, all of my stuff that separates me from you. And I just lay it at the foot of the cross and I trust Jesus to give me life. You don't have to say it in old flowery words or anything like that. Just your heart before God. Give yourself up. That's you today. If you've done that sitting there right now, that's what's going through your life. That's what's happening with you right now. In this invitation time, I invite you to just kind of step out and let's talk about it. I won't embarrass you or anything like that, but there are some things that you need to put with that, some walk that happens after that. We'll talk about all of those things. Most of us have made a decision to trust Christ, but we just play the church game. We walk in a church on given Sundays and we're not expecting to hear from God. As a matter of fact, it surprises us when we do. Right now, God's saying, I got a plan for your life too. What do you do with that? This is the invitation for you, for me. How do you respond? And so, Father, we come and we just lay it all before you our agendas, our goals, the plans that we have. And like this husband, husband and wife couple, Come listening for your voice. We ask you to give us everything we need. Courage, grace, strength. Everything we need to follow as you call. In Jesus' name.